Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Seth, how are you today? I'm doing I'm doing well. You're doing. You're I'm doing, doing well. Away. You just got back from a short little vacation over Labor Day and yep. got to go to beautiful Columbus. Columbus. <laughs> it's a great city. You went, went to, to Germantown. Germantown. It was great. It yeah. was, I had fun. We went to a lake. It was my wife grew up there. Oh um, yeah. It was great. Well, that's awesome. Um, I stayed home over Labor Day. Which is also <laughs> equally great. With a sick kid. So not, um, not the best. It not the kinda, best. Kind of just like chilling at home, being, I mean, a, being an exile. Being an exile at home. <laughs> I wish I could be an exile at home more often. Oh yeah, but it's. I don't even know what that means right this now. Is, this is our. Uh, this is this me is, fumbling into a segue into First Peter. My favorite part about our segues is that we flag that we're segueing. Oh, it's the best. Which it's is the best which, way to segue. Which is, <laughs> it, you can make all sorts of like errors as long yeah. as you flag that, that the, it was in a, a meta way that yeah. it's it's a it's a it's yeah. A, thing a segue forgives a multitude of wrongs self-awareness of a segue oh got it leads yes. to have we lost our listeners yet i hope not because we're in <laughs> first peter two yes. we did our intro episode two weeks ago mm-hmm. we did our second peter episode and now we're back in first peter yep. going kind of chapter by chapter and we kind of realized we covered all of chapter one yep. in our introduction podcast right. so if you're jumping in you should go back there yes, first. Yes, definitely. Because we set up all the major categories um, mm-hmm. of the book of First Peter that are set up in chapter one, namely that we are exiles on mm-hmm. earth because we've been called out by God. And if chapter one kind of gave us the negative vision of what we are, we are not at home. We yes. are not citizens of this country. We are citizens of another. Mm-hmm. Chapter two really kind of fleshes out for us what it means to be that chosen nation, mm-hmm. a separate, be a part of a separate citizenship. And that's kind of what chapter two yeah. initiates for us before it gets into some of like, well, what does that mean for us as we live as exiles within this nation we're not a part of anymore? That's good. And I think another good thing to flag just by way of reintroduction to jog people's memories um, is we've, we talked about one of the most helpful ways for me to think about mm-hmm. First Peter was thinking about um, we're like Abraham. You know, like we have been called away from our families and our Mm -hmm. former allegiances and our ways of life and have cast our new citizenship into a future unknown Mm -hmm. promised land. Yep. Just like Abraham was. And so we are joining Abraham in that story of walking from a place of comfort at home into a place of exile and sojourning. But also obedience. Also obedience and the reason that's important is not just because it's like imaginatively helpful. Mm-hmm. It's also important. We talked a lot about last week, and I know we'll talk about it this week, is um, the importance of grafting the Gentile audience of First Peter, the primarily Gentile audience of First Peter, into the story of the Jewish people. And um, can, can, we, can you help yeah. me remember like why that was so important to do? Well, I mean, as Peter points out, mm. this is a story that began before the foundations of the earth. <laughs> okay. Like both God and we have been foreknown mm-hmm. and God has a had a plan to create a people, his own people from all the way back then. Yeah. And for the majority of human history up to this point, that people had only included the direct lineage of Abraham, mm. Abraham, his sons and his daughters up to the nation of Israel. And since Jesus, that's expanded. So you have a, a majority of the world mm-hmm. that has not yet been chosen yeah, or has not yet had access to that in the same way. They've not, to them, they've not been a part of that story from the beginning. They have time to, to be, be restored. Part of God's people. They have to be restored into something yeah. bigger than their Greco-Roman tradition allows. Because they've allows. been grafted in to 
their immediate surroundings, to their own cultures, to their own gods, their own ways of life. Yep. And it's like, no, you need to exile yourself from those cultures, those gods, those ways of life mm-hmm. into a new kingdom. Yes. You are part of this grand story I've been telling throughout the whole Old Testament. And even just like pastorally, mm-hmm. like we, so that's very true historically and like covenantally, like yeah. in this era of human history, but just separate yourself 2000 years from that. The story that I live my life by is the story of the American dream, the story of expressive right. individualism, the story of Moana played out for my own life, like my own <laughs> soul. Like that's that's the story I live in. Yeah. Um, the primary story though is not one in which I find my truest self in my heart, but the one that brings me back to something that began before the foundation of the earth that was brought to a family mm-hmm. and like expanded to cover the planet. Like there's something better. Yeah. Than a, what there's I, a bigger, better story you're being drawn into. Yes. That's worth getting exiled from the story you grew up with. That's exactly right. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you for indulging me there. And so you said that like, uh, first Peter one kind of talked about like, okay, this is the negative side. You're not this, you're not this, you're mm-hmm, not this. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, first Peter two talks about what we are. Yes. Okay, so how does it get us there? That might be a clumsy way to set it up, okay, but I okay. think it, it does the job. Thanks it, for calling me it, clumsy. It, no, I call myself clumsy. <laughs> um, First Peter 2 begins with a so, kind of concluding the uh-huh. last section. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander, mm. which was part of your old way of living. But like newborn infants, been born into something new, long for the pure spiritual milk, which is the gospel, which is faith in Jesus being grafted into this larger story that you may grow up into the salvation if indeed you have trusted the Lord is good. So he's okay. like, okay, you're being reborn into something. Put away all those old things. You're a baby again. Uh, now, like a baby, trust and eat the milk and you will grow up and mature into this new nation and new people. Okay. Okay. So this is really interesting. So, because in, in chapter one, he talked about how you used to be part of these families that were controlled by sin and yep. uncleanliness and that was, you grew up in that. You were mature adults in that, in a sense. Uh, and now you've been called out, been grafted into the story, been holy, and now you gotta be born again. Mm-hmm. And you you a little baby. Mm-hmm. Little baby. <laughs> little baby. And now you need to taste the pure spiritual milk. You, you used to survive, like your meat and potatoes was deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. <laughs> and now you need to wean yourself off of those things and onto a new spiritual diet. That's right. So uh, what is this like pure, what's pure spiritual well, milk? I think it's just the gospel. You know what I thought of what? was Charles Dickens, the milk of human kindness from Christmas Carol. I don't know this The quote. ghost of Christmas past, I think, has him taste the milk, milk of, of human kindness. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a spiritual yeah, milk. Yeah, it's like a spiritual milk. <laughs> anyway. So, okay, you were saying it's the gospel, though, I think, not I, Dickens. Not Dickens, human, human kindness. kindness milk. Uh, I think it's, I think it's. I mean, he's just been talking about the imperishable word that like brings life to us. So I think it's another way to say that same thing mm. and another way to fill out the metaphor of being born again. Well, if you're born again, in what state are you once you're born again? You're an infant, you're a child. Yeah. And so what does a child grow on? Well, the good, what does a, a child of the kingdom grow on? the good news of the gospel, Jesus' yeah. death and resurrection, his life in place of ours and his new way of being and living. Mm-hmm. And that's how we grow up into maturity and into salvation. It is interesting. You Forgive me, everyone. Forgive okay. me, Seth. Forgive oh, me, gosh. audience. I'm just, I'm processing yep. this. But it, it's a pretty visceral metaphor that he's using here. Um, <laughs> like long, like babies, long for pure spiritual milk. The he's, word is crave. Yeah, he's talking about breastfeeding, mm-hmm. okay? And it's like, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, who's the one doing the breastfeeding here? You know, it's like the yeah. Lord oh, is yes. he's the a breastfeeding nurse. mother yes. nursing us. Is such an intimate metaphor. I feel like that's why I, had to, I almost apologize because it's so, so intimate. But it's just like, you know, my we have a seven month old at home right now. You've you've mm-hmm. raised three kids. Like we've watched our wives breastfeed, mm-hmm. and it is this like, man, my my wife is providing good to my child. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And they long for it, and they crave it, and then they taste that their mother is good. Mm-hmm. And it's just like to think about, and that's how they grew up. And that's, that's how, how they, they grew up. And it's just how like, they become members of our family. So yeah. interesting to think about God like that. That we desire like the good news of the gospel that He brings us. 
and and he provides it to us out of himself. Yeah. You know, he the gospel is God's self-giving. Just like a mom's, you know, mm-hmm. feeding her infant yeah. is a self-giving. Yeah. Anyway, I just was like kind of baffled by the rawness of that metaphor. Anyway, and I mean, you could probably spend days oh, thinking about meditating that. on that. But even like the idea of dependency, mm-hmm. like the state of a citizen of the kingdom is one of dependency yes. on God in the yes. same way that any citizen is dependent on their government. Mm. Like we're dependent on the Lord, yeah. but not in like a surf kind of way, like yeah. where you're indentured to the empire. Right? He's not just wanting obedience and bowing and allegiance. Mm. He wants to, I was, the only word I could think of I was know. suckle. That's the word I've been trying not to use. Don't use the word suckle. Don't use the word suckle. I've been yeah. trying to avoid that word he too. He invites us to something more intimate true. than mere allegiance. Yeah. Um, yeah, to come and eat of him. I mean, which yeah. is another biblical term. Like, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood, mm-hmm. Jesus would say in John 6. And it's like, this is just another way to talk about the same thing. That we are dependent upon being nourished by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that nourishment comes in the imperishable good news of the gospel. And it's just like, and that's like, to go meta just for a second, like, that's what spoken gospel's whole philosophy is. That like, we need the gospel every single day. Yeah. That, and you can, and there's a, a hundred thousand different ways to think about it because of how vast the Bible is. And just like a hundred thousand different ways to come to the breast of God in <laughs> yeah. a sense and be nourished. It's just like. Such a really uncomfortable, yeah. I'm like blushing, you yeah, know, <laughs> but yeah. like it's, it's good. It's here. So anyway, okay. Uh, no, that's, that's worth it's not worth blushing flagging. over. Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm blushing not because of the text, but because of my own immaturity, because <laughs> I'm sure that's what's happening here. So as you come to him, Jesus, the breastfeeding mother, he's also described as a living stone mm. rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That's a difficult metaphor it's a difficult metaphorical switch <laughs> because i'm like yeah yes that <laughs> although what? oh my goodness what? what other time in the bible did a stone provide liquid nourishment in the in the, in the wilderness yeah oh. and we're told elsewhere in the bible that jesus is that stone that was struck that, and to that, provide that moved through the wilderness that moved through that. the wilderness and provided liquid nourishment for and its people depending on how you draw a rock i guess it could look like a breast <laughs> <laughs> yes um i wonder if that's what's going on i, I was don't like, know there's such unconnected metaphors i've been just assuming that right. they're like they're just unconnected this very moment interesting yeah and okay so for for our for our audience who might be like what living stone rock that follows the people in the wilderness are you talking about Tell that story. So Israel is is in the wilderness after their disobedience to God at Mount Sinai. And that's where they're at. So they're wandering the wilderness for 40 years, but God continues to provide for them in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. He sends the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. And whenever they're thirsty, there's a rock that Moses will strike and appears twice. And it provides them water Mm -hmm. when there is no water in the land. And it's these moments of God's provision in the wilderness. And then Paul reflecting on that will call that rock Jesus. Yeah, it's in First um, Corinthians, I think. I believe yeah. so. And um, he talks about a rock that's moving. moving. Like, yeah. It's like the moving stone. Yeah. Like, Stones don't move unless they live. You know, right, and that's kind of yeah. like where we're, our minds are going right now. So the question is, is Jesus, is he pulling on that wilderness motif? Because in that moment, they were exiles. They were exiles right. from Egypt. They were sojourners on their way towards yep. Israel. And he's about to quote from Mount Sinai. He's about to quote yeah. from Mount Sinai. So like, like, it's very interesting to think about that. As um, like Jesus is the the stone that provides us nourishment. I mean, that's true. First Corinthians. Is, is that what Peter so, has in mind? I don't know. So my, my thought in this was that this living stone metaphor was more about the temple. Yes, because he's absolutely. Because going to have a whole bunch of temple language that's going to come up here in a second. So maybe in my for my own sake, is there a way that the living stone in the wilderness is connected to the temple at all? Because, I mean, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud filled the temple, mm-hmm. and God's water from the rock is the symbol of God's presence, mm-hmm. as, it, as Paul points out. So is that living stone like a prototype of the temple? Well, when the, when the tabernacle was built, those symbols kind of subsided. Right. And so because they became the temple. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, in a sense, the mobile provision of God s- stopped being these theophanic, you know, representations. Yeah. Uh, the p- pillar of cloud, yeah, yeah. A-, a rock that gives water and became a physical location, the, i.e. The-, the tabernacle, which would then turn into the temple. 
So I think they are connected in a sense, and mm-hmm. and he could be moving from one to another really quickly. Um, other other than that, we might just be wrong. We could be just wrong, but, <laughs> it's, but it's super an interesting thing to. So if, on. if it's not that, yeah. and we move to the temple language, the, we know is, we're in the right to talk about the temple here because verse five it says, "You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house mm-hmm. to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus yeah. Christ." What's a spiritual house where priests work that offer sacrifices? The temple. The temple. The temple? So, yeah, that so has like, to be what he's talking that's about. The direction we're going. Yes. So, but what does it mean for Jesus? to to be a living stone rejected by men, but mm. inside of God chosen and precious. Well, I mean, number one, Jesus called himself the temple when he was on earth. Okay. Like he said, you know, tear well, this temple hold on. down. Before we get to the yep. temple, uh-huh. yep. what's a living, like why a living stone? Like where does that come from within like, that's like, that was my oh, question. Oh, I like, got you. Yeah. So stones, yeah. You know, the temple was built out of stones, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and now that stone, particularly the chief cornerstone, the most important stone without which the entire temple would fall, has now come alive in Jesus. Hmm. It used to just be a dead stone that made a dead house Hmm. where living things happened. But now that stone, the cornerstone, has come alive so in Jesus. Peter's assuming a little bit of knowledge of his audience. Mm-hmm. Like you've heard of Jesus called the living stone before. He called himself the cornerstone and you know that he was alive. He wasn't a dead stone, but an actual person. He was a living stone mm-hmm. and he was rejected by men, but he was chosen and precious by God. That's the, he's yes. pulling on that tradition. That's right. And there was uh I think he's going to he's going to quote part of this text. Oh, he, he no, he'll quote it later. Um where people were expecting a cornerstone that would be rejected Mm -hmm. to be the Messiah. Or maybe they didn't know it was going to be the Messiah, but it turned out being the Messiah. And so, yes, he's pulling on all that knowledge. So it's like there was this cornerstone that came alive, but everybody rejected it. Mm -hmm. But that rejected stone is actually the very thing on which God will build his temple. Like, Like, which, I mean, you think about it, is the cross of Jesus. That's his moment of ultimate rejection by man and even in a sense by God. Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's like he was forsaken, rejected, and yet that cross, that moment of rejection Mm -hmm. is the cornerstone Mm -hmm. upon which God will build the temple, the living temple. Okay. And so you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Mm-hmm. So the logic is Jesus was a rejected stone yep. who's been brought back to life. And so you too are like these resurrected newborn stones that are being built into a new temple. Mm-hmm. So the same way that Jesus was a temple in and of himself, we as members of God's new nation, mm-hmm. new children are also a new temple. Yes. And importantly, and we'll, we'll get to it. We kind of have to bring, you know, verses six and seven up a little bit. But Jesus is the cornerstone, like, and we are being built around him. We don't get to be temples unless we are, unless our stones lay on Jesus's stone. Right, right, right. Uh, and yes, as in the same way that Jesus has been resurrected mm-hmm. as a eternally living temple of God, which we need to talk about what that means. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we too, as living priests, get to join him in that work. Okay. So we should probably pause now. Yeah. And go. What's a temple? Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm all like, wait, okay, so yeah, these are interesting things. Mm-hmm. The closest I felt like understanding what a living temple was was a rock that gives water. Right. Like, or a mother that's feeding her child. Mm-hmm. This is, is that a like? In what sense is that a temple? And how is a temple more than that? It's kind of like where yeah. My, my okay, so going. so a temple is where you meet the divine. Okay. That's like the I think the simplest way to define a temple. Okay. In at least in this, you know, first century context. Uh temple is where the gods could come mm-hmm. and manifest or you know, you could enter some kind of portal and, you know, give yeah. the give the divine food. Yeah. You know, yeah. or offer you know like that's in what, the broader world. This yeah, is that, yeah, this is not this is not yeah. necessarily Judaism. This is just the broader world of temples, which was a very commonplace thing. Mm-hmm. Is like you could go and sacrifice at the temple and in a sense, that went up, shot up into the heavens. Mm-hmm. And now if you sacrifice a bull on earth, there's a bull before Athena. Yeah. And she now likes you, okay. you know. And yep. so it's like it's a place where the divine and the human can connect. And then importantly, it's also the place where um, that connection is facilitated by priests through sacrifices. Because those are two things mm-hmm. that, that Peter flags for us here. And so a temple is where the human and the divine can connect, 
facilitated by priests through sacrifice. Okay. And that, that holds true to the and, Old Testament temple. And the hope is that when you meet God, mm-hmm. when you meet the divine, you get something in return. So, uh, um, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd say in the broader pagan world. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, even in the Old Testament, you don't, you come to the temple to rejoice in God. Oh, sure. Yeah. You come to, to receive justice. Right. You come to like, um, for forgiveness. Yes. Right. Like yes, atonement. Yes, yes. Right. Like, so even like, I mean, is it wrong to say that we come expecting something from God in the temple? No. From our meeting with him? No. Like, I was wondering. Yeah, if, like, no. There, there I, I, yeah. I was thinking about like the, the peace offering, which is like the fifth of the five main offerings described at the beginning of Leviticus. And it's like, that one is really about like having a, a picnic with God. Yeah. There's really not much quid right. pro quo there. You right. know, it's just like you, you sacrifice and then you eat everything yourself in God's in presence. In pagan temples, there's only quid pro quo. Yes. In God's temple, there is an element of fellowship. Right. Yeah, which is really interesting. Interesting. Um, so um, that's kind of what a temple is. Um, and I think it's important. There's several things for us to flag that I think are really important in understanding why this is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the Garden of Eden was a temple. It was a garden temple. It was a place where humans and God could live together. Mm-hmm. But there was one thing particularly missing from that temple. Priests and sacrifices. Like, were Adam and Eve not meant to be priests? No, they were, but different kinds. They weren't offering yeah. sacrifices, right? They were right. working, you know, yeah. tending the, the world. Their, their work was their sacrifice. Right. But they didn't, I was, what I was saying was Adam and Eve didn't have an, a priest in between them and God. Ah, I see. They were themselves the priests, mm-hmm. tending the world, um, okay. you know, living in it the way God wanted. And then all that broke. And so now humans and the divine are separated. And now you have to have priests in God's temple making sacrifices to help bridge that gap once again. Okay. Well, Jesus being the incarnate temple, the place where God and divine meet, right? Because if a temple is a place where the divine and, and, mm-hmm. and the human meet, that is perfectly represented in Jesus. He was mm-hmm. God-man, 100% God, 100% man. Yes. He is the definition of a temple with right. a pulse. Yeah. You know? Because, yes, I get <laughs> and, it. And so that is what it means to be Jesus being the living cornerstone temple, is that he is the place where the divine and human mm, meet. That's what the incarnation is. In previous light, to be alive or to be a stone were two separate realities. Yes. You could be a stone temple mm-hmm. or you could have a living God. You yeah. couldn't have both right. until Jesus. Yes. Okay. Uh, and so Jesus is both of those things, and he acted as our priest mm-hmm. by making a sacrifice, but not mm-hmm. one that needed to be made again and again and again. He made the sacrifice of himself once and for all. So now there's just a new paradigm of what temples can be because of what Jesus has mm-hmm. done in his incarnation and on his atoning work on the cross and now in his resurrection being living forever. Okay. Like, so he's broken pretty much every paradigm of what of a, a temple. Tem- right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so the, there's a lot buried in living stone. Oh yeah. I mean, even like, okay, let me just bring it back down. Yeah. Stones don't live. Right. <laughs> How can stones live? Yes. <laughs> Unless God fills the stone. Mm, yeah. And what you have is that happening in Jesus? Mm-hmm. You had a rock of a man, a rock of a human, and I mean, that's, I'm getting close to a heresy saying it that way, being <laughs> that yes. like the, the divine essence. Yes. Anyway. Uh, but the idea is that you can't have two unlike things together until Jesus. Right. And that's that, right. It happens in Jesus. It happens in Jesus. Uh, the other like big sweeping um, kind of biblical category to have in your head as we're talking about all this is the difference between the tabernacle and the temple is also okay. really important. There was a feature of the tabernacle inherent in Which, how it was built. The tabernacle is what they did when they wandered in the wilderness That's right. before they built it in, Jer- That's in Israel. Right. That, and and there, there's something inherent about its construction that is made impossible by the stones mm-hmm. of the temple. There was made with tents. Yet yeah, one was mobile, uh-huh. the other was immobile. One could move and almost have life mm-hmm. in it, right? Right. The other was still and could not move. Mm. And so there's, there, but so I think it was the original intent, huh? Intent, tent, anyway. Intent. intent of God to have a mobile temple, a which, living stone. <laughs> which is so interesting then, just the idea of a living stone. If, if the moving stone of the, pr- yeah, of yeah. in the wilderness was a function of his presence, 
the tent was supposed to be a new way to reveal that same thing. Exactly. And one of the deficiencies of the temple as it was built in Israel, even at its height under King David, mm -hmm. was that it couldn't move with God's people wherever they went throughout the world. Right. right? Under King Solomon. Under, under yeah. King Solomon. Right. Yes. 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 Uh, totally. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. And so to have a temple that can move once again hmm. is a very significant, albeit disturbing truth especially to a jewish audience yeah but to a gentile audience i don't know it might seem like really good news that they're not stuck in they don't have to be stuck to jerusalem anymore well i mean you said an offense to a jewish audience so maybe so like what's interesting about this we're spending a lot of time on jesus as the living stone mm -hmm. peter will spend most of his time us being stones yes but before he goes there he grounds everything we've been talking about in the book of isaiah peter quotes isaiah 28 16 Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. So mm -hmm. we would assume the cornerstone of the temple, at right, least, right, from right. that referent. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, which is odd because I thought we were just talking about a temple, but now we're talking about <laughs> a, a person. Right. So my guess is Isaiah is referring to maybe some promised future person would bring them out of exile. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, and the interesting thing is uh, we were you and I were both looking at the the like the text the original Hebrew and then the Greek Septuagint translation of this, and it is interesting that in the Hebrew, it's just whoever believes, not it, in, in him, him or, or in it. it or whatever. It's just whoever believes will not be put to shame. So it was mm. like the Hebrew left it really ambiguous. The Septuagint came along and, and translated it. it whoever That's... believes in him or upon him will not be put to shame. So they made it really definite, which probably meant they were expecting a Some... future king most likely who is going to come bring them out of exile and restore the temple lay the chief yeah. cornerstone again and what's interesting about both of those ideas is like you could read it as well there will be a coming stone who will also be a hymn mm, right right yeah which is oh yes right, there's a coming stone that will also be a hymn which that's the point peter's making that's exactly he sees right through it that yeah. he sees through it and he's making that point that he's already made a couple verses. Mm. Uh, yeah, he's beforehand. like, okay, let me take this really familiar text from Isaiah you guys all know and have been waiting for the fulfillment of. Yep. Uh, it's not just someone who's going to come rebuild. It's not just the stones that are going to be used to rebuild the temple. It's not some king that's going to be, you know, be used to rebuild the temple. It's not even a, a Messiah, a future anointed one that's going to rebuild the temple. It's all of them in one. It is a living King Stone Messiah. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, that's cool. And then he quotes Isaiah, or sorry, not Isaiah, but uh, Psalms 118, verse 22, mm. and the stone the builders rejected, Jesus, mm -hmm. has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the prophesied one from, uh, from Isaiah, who is both a living stone, part of the temple, who is not going to put us to shame by our belief in him, and he's died. He's been rejected. And he's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense from Isaiah 8. Hmm. And everyone is offended by him, the Jews in particular. Like, we can't have a Messiah who dies. You know, we can't, or the Gentiles are, it's this foolishness. Nobody rises from the dead. Like, this is. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, anyway, I say all that to just round out the point Peter's making here. Hmm. He's like, no, Jesus is clearly the living stone yeah. prophesied throughout Scripture. Totally. Um, and we are in like him. Yeah, or even to put a finer point on it, it's like uh, there has been this stone prophesied throughout Scripture that would be laid again. The temple would come back. You know, there is, and then there seems to be a king who would pull it off, a Messiah who would pull it off, and it's like Peter's point is amalgamating those together. And he's saying that's that. his unique contribution. And that's so is Je well, and that's so is Jesus. Yes, it's a, a big deal. Yeah. What's even crazier is then he goes one well, step forward. And you yourselves, yes. like living stones. It's like okay, Hold you on. did a whole bunch of judo throughout the <laughs> throughout the throughout the book of Isaiah and the Psalms to get us to re realize that Jesus was a living stone. Yeah, and now you're saying we are living stones mm. as well. Why is that a big deal? Well, yeah, that's a it's a big deal. One because we've talked about the sacred, set apart, unique function of the temple. It's a place where humans and the divine can be together. And they are usually, or traditionally always, have been external locations that you go to. Mm -hmm. And they are always outside of yourself. They have to be, based on their function. You know, like God is out there, we're down here, and there has to be a bridge to connect us. But the, the crazy thing that, that Peter is saying is that, no, you are now the locus of God. 
Mm-hmm. You are now the place where human and divine connection occurs. Mm-hmm. And that's because of something like that's like very common uh, parlance for Christians today, yeah. but is really revolutionary in the Jesus movement. And that is, we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. Like the like the 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 presence of God mm-hmm. that followed Israel around in the wilderness, the presence of God that filled the tabernacle whenever it was built in the wilderness, the presence of God that filled the ta- the temple when Solomon oh. built it, uh, like that presence has now come to live in mm-hmm. us, even while we move around this world as living mm-hmm. stones. That's why we're living stones because okay. we are mobile temples that actually house the presence mm-hmm. of God. And in the same way that God's presence came to us in Jesus, we take God's presence out, out. into in the whole world, not right. just Israel, yes. but the whole world. Importantly reverting back to two other things we've said in the biblical story. One being the superiority, I would say, might be overstating my case, of the tabernacle to the temple. Okay. That the tabernacle was mobile. That it, the, the, the presence of God could move mm-hmm. around the world in an encapsulated state. Now we get that back. Mm-hmm. We are now all mobile tabernacles mm-hmm. carrying the presence of God with us. But then also going back to all the way to the Garden of Eden, that as as Adam and Eve were priests in the garden, right? Yeah. They were tending the garden, growing the garden. It was supposed to take over the earth. Mm-hmm. And God's temple like yeah, as, yeah. as a place was to spread around the earth. And so we are now part of that garden priestly work, spreading the image and presence of God around the world by being living stones. Yeah. It's a lot. Yes. <laughs> and I was just looking at that word being built up. I was like trying to figure out, is that an organic image? Is it supposed to point us like, is oh, like, like a growing stone? Yes. Um, it looks like, it looks like, like a ma- building, like a like building a, term. A building term. Yeah. Cause but, it, it has the, the word well, house in it. What even what's interesting there is even like, even as you're talking about the difference between the tabernacle and the temple, uh, we are moving temple. We're mm-hmm. moving stone. Like it's right. like it's taking the permanence and yes. the power yes. of a permanent stone built temple with the flexibility and the mobility of yeah. the tabernacle. It's like you don't have to choose. You get both uh, in Jesus. Yeah, you know? it's good. Um, that's really good. There's also something really interesting too about if we were if we we're comparing like the temple of the past to what what's happening now that the Holy Spirit is filling people, mm-hmm. is that. Uh, there's there's one major thing that the temple could never do in Jerusalem, and that was replicate. Right. Like there, it could, could only be one. Yeah, and like there were laws in the in the in the Torah about only being the, there's only one place that you can go where the mm-hmm. temple of God is, mm-hmm. and now it's replicable. Like. Mm-hmm. And it's replicable through this new spiritual birth that's happening as new infants of God are popping yeah. up. New ta- new tabernacles are being built everywhere. And it's just like, yeah. that is there's an organic creativity that's being born out of the imperishable seed from 1 Peter 1 mm-hmm. and is bearing fruit all over the earth. And that's what Jesus talked about when he talked about how the mm-hmm. kingdom of God operates. Yeah. You know? And what better news mm. than the divine coming to the entire world through everybody who believes in him. Yeah. Right. It's like the good news is the temple is everywhere. Mm. Everyone has access to the divine through Jesus and those who believe in Jesus. Anyone who trusts the one stone becomes part of a new stone and everyone can come to the Lord. Yes. Which I think is interesting. Maybe as we transition is we asked at the beginning, like what does a temple do? Peter gives us two things that temples do Mm -hmm. here in a second. They proclaim the excellencies of the one who brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light. Mm -hmm. And they um, abstain from the passions of the flesh. It's a holy place. It's a holy place. They live differently Mm. um, as a way for evil people to glorify God when he returns. So what's the temple supposed to do in Peter's imagination is to proclaim the goodness of God Uh and to see people come to know God for the first time. Right. And that's what a temple did in one sense. Like the temple was supposed to proclaim the goodness of God, the forgiveness offered in God. Yes. The the, The smoke went up continually from the site of the temple to always show that like God is good. God is accepting Mm -hmm. sacrifices. God is present. He hears prayers. And that salvation was available in the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. Anybody would, even foreigners were welcome to the temple. Mm -hmm. Sacrifices could be made on their behalf. Salvation was still there. But you just ought to go to the temple. 
Yeah. Now the salvation and the good news of God is available everywhere through all people, through all time, right. depending on your relationship with Jesus. Which is why we're not only called temples, we're called priests, right? He says that right. we are a priesthood, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. And so it's like we get to go out into the world as priests of the new temple, that we are inviting and interceding for people to come to God. Yep. Like that's what evangelism is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just being a, a temple out in the out in the public sphere, mm-hmm. being a priest. Uh, and then you also said something about the holy place of God, uh, which is, I think is really interesting. Okay. I, particularly because I'm like obsessed with the idea of holiness in Leviticus. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because uh, I kind of had to get to be to even remotely try to understand <laughs> it. And, um, you know, like there was this idea that the holiness of the temple, like it's... It, like the thickness of curtains increasing the closer you get to God, mm-hmm. the preciousness of metals starting with bronze and ending mm-hmm. on with gold on gold mm-hmm. as you get in, the different colors, the different ornaments, yeah. all the different things you had to pass through and do to get there. It just got scarier and more exclusive the deeper uh-huh. into the temple you got. And the point of that was to show how set apart, how holy, how pure God is. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to think about that in the context of First Peter because we as holy people that were so set apart that we we look so different or at least we're supposed to from the world around us that it it like scares you a little bit you know that it proclaims a message about god just like having a holy untouchable place mm-hmm. in the middle of your city would have mm-hmm. where it's just like everywhere you go there's like this symbol of holiness like god is so big and utterly different Mm -hmm. and now we get to be that representation to the world is just a different way to think about um moral commands yeah in in the in the new testament it's like well i have to do xyz moral command because god told me to or because it's the right thing to do or because the christian thing to do it's like no it's because Mm -hmm. i am the holy of holies gold on gold thick Mm -hmm. curtain ornamented center of god's presence here in the world and my holiness Mm-hmm. changes the way that people see God around me. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, he, Jesus called, he, Jesus said, we'll be called precious. A yeah. People of God's precious possession or, you know, in 2-7. One of the other things about this, the broader context of what's happening in First Peter is that these people are in exile and being persecuted for their faith. Right? Right. And their Christian ethical code and their belief in Jesus is precisely what's causing them. Yes their ostracization. So what's interesting is the way that he says, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. As in mm. acting like priests, we actually reverse the shame that we feel in the world around them. Yeah. In fact, as Peter says in a second, evildoers will come to glorify God in the day of visitation. And in just a second, when we get into chapter three, it'll say um, that as we are, um, when we're, oh yeah, we will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Mm. So there's actually something um, so, uh, redemptive about our good works and being like priests as we believe in God, mm. as we proclaim his name, as we act like a holy people, our shame is reversed. Yeah. Ignorance is pushed back. Darkness becomes light again. Evil becomes followers of Jesus. Yeah. There's something like active mm-hmm. that happens to the world around us yeah. as we act like the exiles were supposed to be. Okay. So super nerd moment. Okay. Cause I love what you just said. <laughs> so there's an, there's a, there's a, a part of the temple's holiness in Leviticus mm-hmm. that is called communicable holiness. Great. And it is this thing that happens only one or two times in Leviticus where a holy vessel that has holy water in it spills on something um, common. Okay. And now that common thing, like a shirt that it spilled on, becomes holy. Hmm. And the the community, like the 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 yeah, it's just like holiness is communicable. It is transferable. Mm-hmm. And I and it's like that's already a category hmm. in the Jewish mind in how they think about the temple. Is you go you you go to the temple to get holy. You know, like yeah. that's where I go to get some holiness. Yeah. And it's like now that's what you're saying right. is we are now the bringers of holiness. We clean up the world as we go through it Mm -hmm. and we can communicate, transfer holiness as priests. 
to it the world. It goes back to the garden. This was yes. the design of the garden. Yes. We were meant to, in the very beginning, be partners with God in creation and new creation to spread his glory and goodness and peace and holiness throughout yeah. the whole world. That's the way we're built for. Mm-hmm. That's and, why we're here. And now in Jesus, we can be those new partners with God again. Right. Reversing the evil that happened after the fall. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's all amazing. I love that. So now we're going to switch as we go into verse nine from the driving metaphor of temple into a driving metaphor really of like people. And so verse nine says, uh, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Mm-hmm. So those are four really important things that we've been told that we are and where they come from. Exodus 19. Is a very important <laughs> thing. So Exodus 19 is, I, I like to call it like the, the giving of the vows before the wedding ceremony. Mm-hmm. So Israel has been brought out of Egypt. Did you Egypt. give your vows before the wedding ceremony? Or it's or before the, <laughs> what, you do the, before the exchanging of rings. Yes. yes That's yes, what it yes, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just did it. We did, we did it. We, we did, did our it. vows, you know, in the parking lot. And then we had the, <laughs> it just expedited the whole situation. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's the giving of vows before the exchanging of rings, before the I do and the kiss. You know, and so uh, Egypt has, or ex- oh my goodness, Israel Egypt, has been exile. brought out of Egypt. They've made it to Mount Sinai where God has called them to come and he pronounces something over them. And he says that they are going to be his chosen race, mm-hmm. his royal priesthood, his holy nation, and his special possession. And that is the catalytic vow of God to Israel. Mm-hmm. that defines the story of the rest of the Bible. <laughs> and yeah. now he's saying that distinct crazy vow. You know, you only give a vow to one one person, your wife, yeah. your, your husband. You only get married to one person. Yeah. And he's saying like, I made that vow to you. Like Gentile mm-hmm. audience, mm-hmm. however many thousand years later. Yeah. is like a crazy statement mm-hmm. that we've now been grafted into this fourfold yeah. vow of God. Once you were not a people, mm-hmm. but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Which I think that all that's from Exodus, right? All that language. Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> we should, somebody else do a check on that. Like, <laughs> yeah. That does not seem new no, it doesn't. to Peter in this moment yes. to me. Um, but I'm just like recontextualizing that. That makes sense for Israel. Israel, you were once not a people, but now you've become a nation mm. by my vows of marriage. You had once been treated mercilessly by Pharaoh, but now you've received mercy. Totally. Uh, but for that to be reappropriated for a Gentile audience is like it's very say, profound. Is really is really profound. It, um, it might be cool just briefly. No, I don't want to do like humongous expositions on all four of these, but it's it. They're all four very marvelous mm. statements. Uh, that you are a chosen race. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, out of all the people of the earth, I've chosen you mm-hmm. that to be a new race of people, mm-hmm. no matter where you come from, yeah. you know, no matter what your ethnic race is, it could be anything. You're a new people. You're a new people because you're, you're now spiritual infants that have been reborn mm-hmm. and you're getting new spiritual milk to become a new race of people on the earth. Okay. Which are Christians. Yeah. Indwelt people. And like, that's you. So it's, it, it designates our set apartness, you know, yeah. among the earth, but also our chosenness. It kind of makes me think, the way that you're talking about it doesn't make me think of race so much as like family. Like yes. a chosen family. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, yeah. People, because, nation. Oh, it's genos. Not oh, that that means anything to everybody it, listening. It means a born one. A right? born one. Yeah. You're, you're a, a family. A people. A chosen family. A chosen people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and chosen family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and then you're a royal priesthood is the second one. And that well, one's really interesting. For so many reasons. Yeah. But probably the shortest is just go back to the Garden of Eden. You had a king and a queen who were supposed to be God's priests. Yes. You are now that. You are now that. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. And there's also like, oh, we're inherit, we're co-heirs with the king of kings. Yeah. Uh, there was probably some Melchizedek thing in here. With why not throw him on? Why in not there? throw him in there? <laughs> We're talking about the temple. Why not throw Melchizedek <laughs> on in? So, so excited yeah. for Hebrews. Royal priesthood, a holy nation. So you know this is like you're a set apart country. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been called out of the allegiances to your former 
citizenships and into a set apart citizenship in God's yeah. nation. Um, and then uh, I love this, uh, like a sp- God's special possession or a people mm-hmm. for his own possession that like God wants to own you <laughs> in a sense, in a special way that like, uh, but I think it just goes down to like what he said in Exodus 19. And then he repeats in revelation 21 that I am your God. You are my people. Mm-hmm. And it's reflexive in that, that like insofar as God has us, we have God mm-hmm. insofar as God possesses us. We yeah, possess yeah. him in a sense. I it's keep, just a special relationship. I also keep thinking about these words, chosen, royal, holy, own possession, as just different ways to say the word exile. Mm. To be God's chosen family is oh. to no longer be the family that you were once part of. Yes. To be a royal priesthood is to be above and beyond the priesthood that you've seen before. Mm-hmm. To be a set-apart nation, a holy nation, is to be unlike the nations that you're in right now. Yep. To be the people of God's possessions, Means you're not to, possessed anymore by another nationality another. or so it's empire. like they're all like other ways to say exile yeah chosen family royal priesthood holy nation a people of god's own possession you're not the same anymore you're not yeah. at home where you used to be you're part of a different family mm-hmm. a different priesthood a different country you belong to someone else yeah and that makes me think of like two things right away like first my legalistic brain kind of did the same thing it did last time we were talking about being exiles is like man, am I living like a radical enough life to match this chosen, royal, holy, special, possessed people? Like I just feel almost ashamed that I don't, I don't live that kind of radical Christian yeah. life like I'm supposed to. Um, but in, instead, I'm immediately rebuked by the next like sentence out of Peter's pen, which is telling me what I came from and then what I'm being called into. Hmm. That what I used, the, the the people I used to be a part of, the priesthoods I used to submit to, the nation I used to be a citizen of, the uh, like the, the place by which I used to be possessed was darkness. Like all right. of that was darkness. And yeah. you're underselling the that transfer. Right, yeah. Of uh, from one citizen. Whenever you say, to Am I living a radical not left life for Jesus? Like, do you not understand what happened to you? Yeah, it's like the radical transfer has be- begun already. Yeah. And it's that you lived in darkness mm-hmm. and now you live in marvelous light. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, you don't only live in one having been redeemed from the other, you are now an active participant in proclaiming the excellencies of that marvelous light mm-hmm. in which you now inhabit and the utter like meaninglessness mm-hmm. of the darkness from which you've been redeemed. Yeah. So it was like, oh, that's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, God. That's really beautiful. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, what are so you thinking? I, I'm thinking about closing out the show. Great. Um, and we, I've mentioned this already, but like when, Peter's landing the plane here and he's about to move on into this section just called submission to authority in my Bible. (laughs) And he talks about the way exiles live in their different relationships. How does an exile, a member of a different nation live in the nation that he's currently in? What does a Christian citizen do with his unbelieving king? Mm -hmm. What does a Christian slave do to his unbelieving master? How does he act towards him? What does a Christian wife do to her non-believing husband yeah um and before he gets to all that he tells us what it looks like in two really simple things Mm. proclaim the good news of the one who brought you out of darkness and into light Mm -hmm. and don't act like the world around you yeah and in and in doing so the world will be changed yeah it's like it's it's like i wanted to land on that again because it's pretty simple it's like well am i living in a radical enough life hey hey don't undersell what it took to get you where you are right Right. now you were you might have just been a fourth grader but that was still a pretty big deal to immigrate from the country of darkness to the country of light um but also man talk about the gospel Mm. talk about what god has done to you and live like it's true right don't act like the world act like a citizen of heaven and because of your conduct among the gentiles because of your word and because of the way that you're acting, they will see your good deeds and glorify the God God on the day he returns. Yeah, that's really helpful because I'm like the whole like, am I living a radical enough life to have been this holy priest, exiled, royal, whatever right. thing. Uh, it's like, oh, I'm not, it's not that I've 
uh, I need to oversell what it means to be that. Mm-hmm. What I need to realize is I've undersold what simple holiness is. Yes. Is that like, man, when I just don't partake in the sins of the world around me, mm-hmm. like I'm married to one woman mm-hmm. and we waited till marriage Yeah, and I've not fornicated and <laughs> right. you know, like yeah, yeah. all those things that is pushing back the darkness. Mm-hmm. Like that is being a priest in this world and that is radical. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and I, and it's like, I, I think I've, I've kind of let Satan win some battles in letting me think that that's like the basic mundane requirements for Christianity. Yeah. And it's like, and, and he's robbing me of the joy yeah. of the mission of God that's on my life yeah. in my monogamy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's how the divine and human meet. Yes. That's if you're a living priest, when you obey God in a pagan world, you're, being the conduit, the mm. go-between between an unbelieving world and the very presence of yeah. God in your obedience and proclamation. I mean, I, I literally had this experience um, last weekend. I was talking to someone um, and they're going through a really rough time, especially with like sexuality. Yeah. And they were in, in our home. Me and, me and my wife were sitting on the couch. They were sitting on the couch with us and they were just sharing how Megan and I's marriage has called them in, like into a desire mm. to escape the like bondage to sexual sin that they feel. Mm. And they're like, what you have is just right. And I want to be in mm. it. And so I'm going to start seeking God to like, yeah. m- like find that. Yeah. And I was like, I'm being a priest. <laughs> like mm. I didn't even know I was doing anything. Mm-hmm. I was just being married, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like trying to love my wife well and serve yeah. her. And you know, like, yeah. Anyway, that's no, that's really good. Is like that's, I, that's helpful. We should talk about that next week. Yeah. Whenever we get into all the commands that we're talking, talking about, like how do you live as a yeah. an exiled wife, yep. servant, slave, and citizen? Yeah. That's really that's a really powerful example, and just goes to show like simple obedience, mm. priestly obedience, is good news to a watching world. Yeah. So, living temples, listening, go and walk around like giant stones giving water to people <laughs> or whatever <laughs> metaphor you want to grab onto from <laughs> breastfeeding mom like whatever you need guys lots of metaphors in this episode so yeah it would be really interesting to talk about submission to authority in yeah. first peter and just think about that when it, peter sum is summing up what does it mean to be a christian exile submission was not expecting that yeah, turd peter seriously <laughs> so i think that'll be an interesting thing for us to talk about next yeah. week so we will see you guys there Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.